0: Understand the degree to which the world is connected by global trade and finance? A recent study suggests that we have many of the facts wrong. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is your Supply Chain Brain podcast. Amakaj is a professor at both the Stern School of Business at New York University and the IESE Business School in Madrid, Spain. For several years, he has co-authored a study sponsored by DHL that looks into the question of global connectedness. In other words, how closely are the economies of the world tied together by international commerce? The Results of the latest study bear out something that Professor Gemawid has been saying for a while now, that we are not nearly as connected as we thought. He joins me on this episode to explain why so many countries have fallen short of their ambitions to engage in global business, and he describes some of the misperceptions that many people have about the true impact of global trade on domestic jobs and products. Some of his findings might surprise you. So here is my conversation with Pankaj Gamawit. Pankaj Gaimawit, welcome to the program.
1: Great to be with you, Bob.
0: I want to first talk a little bit about the DHL Global Connectedness Index for 2014. Would you please define for me what you mean by connectedness?
1: Well, by connectedness, we refer to the extent of trade, capital, people, and informational flows between countries, in other words, across national borders.
0: You have what you refer to in this study as a 3D approach. Would you explain what that means to defining this whole uh, world of connectedness and how you measure that?
1: Right. So there, there's there been um, significant interest in the last 15 years or so in developing indices about how globalized different countries are. And the traditional focus in those indices is focusing on depth. So they'll look at For instance, how many tourists cross the border rather than uh, also looking at where they go or where they come from. So depth is the traditional focus of globalization indices that have been offered. And we certainly measure depth uh, like everybody else. That's the first D, however, in our little 3D framework for thinking about globalization. The other two Ds which we also measure, the first has to do with distribution. Precisely this question of the Bahamas might get a lot of tourists, but you know, how broadly are they drawn from? And it turns out eighty percent come from the US. So that would not be a measure that would not be an instance of great breadth of globalization, which is one particular way of summarizing the whole distribution. Of a country's international interactions. So, t- looking at breadth, which is one of the measures of distribution that one could cite, we also look at other ones like how much of trade, for instance, takes place within regional boundaries versus outside regional boundaries, and so forth. It's something that requires you know 200 to 300 times more data than what goes into uh, the other globalization indices and that i think is one of the things that really helps set our index apart the third d just very briefly has to do with directionality and it's interesting that other indices don't really focus much on differences between say imports and exports when you know from the u.s commerce department's perspective A dollar of imports is not quite the same as a dollar of exports. And so there is this sort of inattention to directionality, which is, again, something, although it ups the data requirements a little bit farther, we analyze systematically and present data on. So the 3D approach is about depth, which everybody else does measure, distribution, and we focus on a particular way of measuring distribution, breadth. And finally, directionality. And it's in those latter respects that I think the index is particularly innovative.
0: And one of the conclusions that comes out of the index is that based on those three measurements, we may not be as globally connected as we thought we were. Could you explain why that might be the case?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the starting point of all this was uh, back in 2011, I was finishing or rather publishing a book where I spent a fair amount of time arguing and pulling together the evidence suggesting that the world was not was very, very far from completely globalized. And it's only if you accept that that it's actually meaningful to uh, look for variations in how globalized individual countries might be because if globalization levels were uniformly, on average, very high to begin with, there wouldn't be much variation, really, across how connected countries might be with the world. So after having pointed out that it was neither zero nor complete, the next obvious thing seemed to be to measure differences across countries in terms of how connected they were. And there are certain respects in which you could sort of say that the Netherlands is about 100 times as connected with the world, at least along some dimensions, as is Nepal. So the variations are large. That said, even the Netherlands has significant headroom to further improve its level of global connectedness. So even they, although they're the top-ranked country on our index and have been since we started putting it together in 2011, even they've got room to
0: improve. So in general, what has happened since you published that book, World 3.0, in 2011, in terms of the trend toward global connectedness, even though we may not be as far as we thought we were, are we farther in the last three years and moving ahead than we were back when that book was first published?
1: Well, uh, sort of interestingly enough, and this is an advertisement for trying to measure globalization and whether it's up or down in the first instance, no, we're not quite as far along or depending on which measures you look at. We just got back to the level of globalization we were at in 2007 before the global financial crisis hit. So the last few years are a reminder that, you know, progress should not be presumed to be monotonic that you know globalization is not something that can be counted on necessarily to increase year after year after year it actually took a big tumble as we measure it Uh, other globalization indices oddly enough don't pick up on this but a lot of people regard the drop-off in trade and capital flows after the global financial crisis it's probably the biggest drop-off in globalization in the last few decades. It's clear from that recent experience that things can go into reverse, something that we should have remembered from, say, the years between the two world wars where uh, globalization took another really big hit, uh, even bigger in some respects. And so I think that remembering that globalization can go up or it can go down is one of the reasons why it's interesting to actually measure whether it's up or down. And that's why in this so-called age of ambiguity, in which it's less clear than it was before the financial crisis as to whether globalization is up or down, because it was basically up it becomes uh, commensurately more interesting to actually measure uh, whether things are up or down. And in that respect, uh, just very briefly, the big highlight from the 2014 DHL Global Connectedness Index is that depth of connectedness after stagnating between 2011 and 2012 did show an uptick, so that was good news. We haven't yet quite apparently run into the wall in terms of intensity of interactions. Breadth measures, however, continue to drop, which is an interesting and somewhat distinct trend, which is why the world overall was basically as globalized in the latest iteration of our index as it was back in 2007.
0: Well, if we're going to do some finger-pointing, and it seems that the uh, survey to some extent does, it seems to suggest that it's advanced economies that haven't kept up with these shifts and may be responsible for the rather disappointing results. Is that the case?
1: That certainly just as a way of decomposing the data. Yeah, that's the narrative that I would impose, basically, what's happened is, compared to two or three decades ago when, with the exception of Japan, the world economy was centered on the North Atlantic, it's sort of literally been pulled apart, farther apart, as a result of the shift in economic mass towards emerging economies, and particularly towards Asia, largely, but not solely due to China's role in the world. And as that has happened, it just becomes harder. It's way easier if you're a German exporter to serve some location within Europe or even in the U.S. than it is to, you know, get your stuff all the way to China. We did some calculations, in fact, suggesting that if the Germans, who are not exactly slouches at exporting, had actually maintained their share of emerging economy imports, their exports would have been, I think, about 17% higher than they are currently. So there's been big slippage, as in not that Germans aren't exporting farther, not that they aren't sending more stuff to emerging markets. They are, but they simply haven't quite kept up with the velocity of the shift. And this is sort of generally true of advanced economies in terms of the extent to which they've been able to participate in where the big growth opportunities are, which in most sectors are, in fact, at emerging economies.
0: Is this, to some degree, the situation in the advanced economies, and especially in the West, and even more especially in the United States? Is this to some degree a reflection of shifting public attitudes toward global trade? In other words, is it becoming less popular in the eyes of the general public? Are there problems there that are preventing us from embracing the whole idea of globalization as much as we could?
1: There was a recent survey by Pew suggesting precisely that publics in advanced economies were far more skeptical about the benefits of globalization and publics in emerging economies. That said, the big surprise to me is given how nasty the crisis was for a number of different reasons, uh, the financial, the symbolic, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm just surprised that you know, there hasn't been more uh, push on this particular point. But there is this sort of whole crisis of legitimacy. I, I was frankly a little bit worried that we'd see more in the way of protectionistic measures than we've actually gotten since the financial crisis. So I think the situation in the U.S. is actually a little bit different from Europe. In the U.S., the American economy continues to be a job creation machine. One can disagree about the quality of the jobs, et cetera. But from over in Europe, U.S. job creation performance looks absolutely spectacular. And that has helped alleviate some of the pressures one might see towards more protectionism. In Europe, the unemployment situation is way worse. I actually worry quite a deal about protectionism at various different levels, including impairment of the functioning of the European Union, which uh, would really be a huge blow, not just to Europe, but to globalization overall.
0: Well, I I want to talk about Europe in a moment, but just to get back to the United States for a moment, the lack (laughs) of, say, any proactive protectionist measures is one thing. But on the other hand, we do see growing public sentiment against the idea of these gigantic free trade agreements like the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership and the TTIP in, in the, on the Atlantic side, yep. fears yep. that those are going to cause the imposition of global rules that trump our own uh, our own regulations here in the United States to the extent that those two PACs seem to be in a lot of trouble. So what is the situation there? And uh, what is the direction we're going in terms of these giant free trade packs, and how does it affect general public sentiment toward the whole idea of free trade?
1: When we think both about the big transatlantic and transpacific deals that have been talked about, I think uh, those are really hostages to all kinds of politi- political constraints in the short run. Uh, In the U.S., given just domestic gridlock, it seems relatively unlikely that the Obama administration could move in time to actually make really meaningful progress on this before its term is up. In Europe, the unemployment situation obviously continues to dominate the news and really makes support for all kinds of openness much more problematic. And in Asia, there, I think, reactions are partly colored by relations with uh, the region's big emerging power, emerging global power. China, the Chinese are very suspicious of the Trans-Pacific Partnership as an attempt to kind of remove them from the inner circle. They certainly have some influence with their neighbors, and I think it'll be interesting to see how different kinds of groupings that are being uh, being attempted to actually play out. But that said, I think, you know, the Canadian European Union trade agreement was uh, certainly a little bit of an encouragement, as is the final conclusion of at least the trade facilitation part of what was meant to be the Doha Development Round. Um, who knows where the WTO goes from here?
0: That's news from just this week that there was, uh, I guess, you could, what amounts to a breakthrough that India backed off of its blocking yes, exactly. of the Doha round. So should we not take heart from that, at least?
1: Uh, we should take heart, although I'm uh, subscribed to one of these Gmail groups that sends out thrice-daily missives and people like Jean-Pierre Le etc., And the mood amongst these sort of very pro-trade bunch is instead of celebrating the conclusion of what was meant to be, you know, an important but still relatively small part of Doha as some great victory without having any plan as to where things get pushed forward from here is a little bit overdone. And I'm sympathetic to both sides. I mean, I think given that the process looked dead a few months ago. The fact that agreement with India was reached is uh, way better than nothing happening. On the other hand, there may be a little bit of a sense that you know, we should just abandon all the other elements of the Doha agenda at least for another 5 to 10 years, because people are just tired of them. I haven't heard that much out of Roberto Azevedo that makes me think that he's, having watched Pascal Lamy suffer through that, that he seems particularly anxious to take on that role, but who knows.
0: There's an underlying assumption in this conversation we're having right now, as well as in the DHL connectedness study, and that is the assumption that connectedness is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But if you want to talk about connectedness in Europe, I mean, Europe went all in on connectedness with the creation of the European Union and the Eurozone, and look what happened. I mean, can it be argued that they went too far, that the Eurozone, in its attempt to impose a common currency on economies that were so sharply different in so many ways, without political union accompanying it, was just a mess and a mistake, and maybe that was taking connectedness one step too far?
1: That is sort of where I come out in my World 3.0 book, which was written and published, I guess, the summer that Greece actually finally really melted down. So this was a little bit looking forward, was suggesting that... The big things that we have to watch out for, you know, this is not strictly true, but this is what most of the seven chapters in my World 3.0 book on the topic can be summarized as saying. The things that we need to worry about the most when it comes to too much cross border connectedness typically are related to financial flows of various sorts. And that's the dimension where we have recurrent evidence that, you know, particularly the really short term cross border financial flow stuff can have a destabilizing impact. So, in fact, uh, when we put the Global Connectedness Index together for DHL, we actually made a conscious decision to remove, quote unquote, bad capital. And I don't want to overemphas- uh, overemphasize the phrase bad capital. But capital, like short-run bank debt, that clearly can be and was overdone in the days prior to the global financial crisis, because to include things that can really be overdone to such excess would in some sense confuse or cloud the orienting function of the index. Then it's, you know... uh, An index of connectedness, some dimensions of connectedness are good and others are bad, but there's no sense in which you want to compare countries then in any welfare-related sense on the basis of their average level of connectedness. So in terms of capital flows, what we focus on are the two categories of cross-border capital flows, foreign direct investment, which generally is agreed to have a beneficial effect on both the recipient and the sending country. And also portfolio equity flows, against which the evidence is at least less deadly than it is against the extent to which portfolio debt can be overdone. So Europe was clearly, there was way too much money sloshing around European debt and debt markets, portfolio markets, etc., across borders. And the big drop-off in, quote-unquote, globalization of capital flows, the biggest one really has been in the very short-run kinds of debt flows that, one could argue, weren't, uh, weren't really at optimal levels to begin with prior to the financial crisis had way overshot optimality. And so I think that Europe, in that respect, as well as the obvious uh, travails assa- associated with the euro as a single currency trying to unify countries that are so different, is a little bit of a reminder that you have to be careful about integration, and you probably need to lead with some things before you follow up with other ones rather than just sort of saying, okay, you know, Let's just open the whole thing up and see where it uh, takes us.
0: We're almost out of time, but I did want to reference one point that you made earlier, and that is that uh, you, you called back the uh, the phrase globaloni, which was coined by Clara Luce in the 1940s to describe misconceptions about certain aspects of the international economy. You were using it to describe what you felt were misconceptions by, I guess, the American public with regard to just how pervasive international trade is and the impact it's having on employment here and on other aspects of the U.S. economy. Can you talk a little bit more briefly just about what are some of these misperceptions that kind of surround the issue of international trade in this country?
1: Well, a a lot of the misconceptions have to do with just the basic depth measures that we were talking about earlier during this podcast. What percentage of, say, U.S. consumer spending is actually accounted for by products made in China Or what percentage do immigrants represent of the U.S. population? So actually, in terms of people listening into this podcast, you might want to just perform this little experiment yourself. First question, what percentage of U.S. consumption expenditures, expenditures by consumers, were accounted for by products made in China in some recent year? Uh, you know, as uh, recent as we have data for. Second, what percentage of the U.S. population is accounted for by first-generation immigrants?
0: I assume those figures are going to be quite different in terms of perception and reality, right?
1: Yep, yep. Obviously, I have no way uh, of knowing – what your listeners actually came up with, but when I've tried running those experiments, it turns out that you get overestimation by several-fold or sometimes even by a factor of 10. So, for instance, uh, it does turn out that if you look at all U.S. personal consumption expenditures and how they're distributed, roughly, let's say, less than 3% of them are accounted for by products made in China, and probably about 1%, just very roughly, of that 3% is actually accounted for by U.S. intermediaries rather than the manufacturers in China themselves. And uh, in my experience, um, you know, numbers in the 15, 20, 25, 30, 35% range are far more common. Similarly, while the U.S. does have, compared to uh, at least some European countries, relatively high levels of immigration, about 14 percent first-born, uh, first-generation immigrants, the usual guess is around two to three times that. So people are guessing, say, roughly around 40 percent in many cases. And when you point this out to people, they seem, at least on the basis of the U.S. data, also seems to be true in some West European countries, a little bit more receptive to, the idea, to ideas such as immigration reform, etc. So globalony is, is a simple way of calling attention to the idea that in many cases uh, intuitions about how globalized we are aren't just excessive. They're actually quite dysfunctional in their effects in the sense that to pro-globalizers, they suggest the glass is already rather full and there's not much more to be gained. And then they fan the fears of anti-globalizers, people who are really worried about immigration or about that tide of imports from China or any one of a number of other things. And so that's why uh, I try and stress, and the index is just one manifestation of something that I think uh, I've been pushing along several dimensions. But I do try and stress measurement, because the idea is everybody's entitled to their own opinions, as Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, but not everybody's entitled to their own facts. And maybe if we start with the facts, we can narrow some of the zone of disagreement.
0: Final question. Despite recession, misperceptions, politics, weak investments or advanced economies not keeping up, they're part of the bargain. What direction, in your opinion, are, are we going in the trend toward global connectedness?
1: There, there is a climate of a certain amount of bearishness about global growth prospects. There's talk of secular stagnation, et cetera. It's sort of worth remembering that the IMF's latest forecast from October this year still imply that the world's supposed to grow faster between 2014 and 2019 than it did in the 1980s, the 1990s, or the first 10 years of this century. So the fundamentals aren't as good, uh, don't look as good as they did, say, two or three years ago when we were expecting a more robust recovery than, I guess, debt overhangs have actually allowed us to experience with the world economy. But that said, you know, the picture isn't as terrible as it's sometimes made out to be with people focusing on the deltas and not really thinking hard about the absolute levels, which are still, compared to those allegedly magic years of the '80s and '90s, still a bit higher on average. And so that's where I think whether policymakers can harness some of this potential to push farther on a range of different things, ranging from uh, agreements with other countries to just stuff within their own borders. Like the U.S. right now is constrained by lack of internal infrastructure from exporting as much as it could because of the fracking boom and the diversion of rail- railroad capacity. And so there are many, many things that could be done to tap into this great potential for greater connectedness that we identify in our index. And I think that that may be one of the contributors to whether we take what is fundamentally still appears to be a reasonable set of cards and turn those into some of the years of growth that the world desperately needs or not.
0: Well, we will definitely look forward to next year's DHL Global Connectedness Index to see where we're going. But in the meantime, I want to thank you very much for telling us where we are now and where we've been. Professor Pankaj Gamowit, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Bob. Really enjoyed the opportunity.
0: That was my conversation with Professor Pankaj Gamawit talking about the true state of global connectedness. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.